This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the key to finding some peace of mind might be from something you wouldn't expect. Craig Richard, a professor in biopharmaceutical sciences at Shenandoah University of Virginia and founder of the online learning center ASMR University, helps us understand how ASMR triggers fascinating reactions in your brain and your body and what it is and how it can quiet your mind. Handy Andy Barrar is gardening tips for us on how to harvest your garden crops and protect them with freezing so you can keep them longer, plus what to expect from the new iPhone 15. And are you okay with yoga and vaping? Not necessarily at the same time. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. There is an acronym that gets batted about more and more lately. We've seen it a lot on the internet. And it may have come into your life, it may have not, but we've seen, you know, articles about it here on The Shift. We've had conversations about it. And I really got to the point where I said to Ryan, I said, um, ASMR, what is, what is it actually? Because I'm not quite sure as we consume content that we truly understand what it is. Because it's kind of become this whole category of entertainment so much more to it than that um that's not where it comes from although it could be appealing um, for certain people so this is where we uh, get in with craig richard he's a professor of biopharmaceutical sciences at shenandoah university in virginia founder of the online learning center asmr university and i um i love virginia by the way only been there once loved it beautiful place um Welcome to the shift, Craig. The uh, the uh, ASMR. Let's start with the the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Yeah. Well, you definitely have it generally correct that it is confusing as to what exactly it is, and those four letters stand for autonomous sensory meridian response. And I'd say there's three key aspects to understanding what that means. And the first one is that it describes a sensation that many people experience. And this sensation of ASMR is that it feels deeply relaxing. And the curious aspect of it is some of these individuals feel these light, pleasurable brain tingles, like little sparkles on their brain. The second key aspect- That sounds appealing. I what's that? <laughs> that sounds particularly it appealing. Is. It's not like um, music chills but it's a little more internal. Some people describe it in their scalp and just sparkles is how some people describe it. Psychedelics comes to mind. Yeah, maybe Um, maybe not that intense. Maybe not that magical. Well, yeah. Well, you know, less getting chased by a pumpkin. Yeah, Um, but but still, I mean, I think that there, yeah, as we, as we, as people have talked about uh, ASMR and how it's been misunderstood, I think there are some people that equate it to be in that realm of experience, which I guess similar as you describe it, but not <laughs> chemically induced um, is probably worth noting. So uh, distinctly different at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it's, there really hasn't been uh, much or many people saying that I get the same feeling from taking this type of medication or this recreational drug rather the way people experience this or have it stimulated is in one-on-one personal interactions with a kind or caring person. 
So imagine a moment with a best friend, um, a romantic partner, uh, a caring parent, even like a hairdresser or a health professional, someone who is giving you this very positive personal attention. But there's one other important element to that context. And that is that they usually have a very gentle, soft voice. They might be whispering. They're doing kind of slow movements and they might be making soft sounds, might pick up a piece of paper and it crinkles very slowly. Or if it's someone like a hairdresser or a health professional, it's when their fingers are maybe just touching you on your back as they're maybe feeling for your breathing sounds or they're touching your neck for lymph nodes. Like all of this together in a, in a specific situation like this stimulates this feeling of ASMR in many of these individuals. Okay, so that sounds like, um, well, I mean, the, sen the multi-sensory multi mm -hmm. thing is a big deal. Um, but it sounds an awful lot like, I mean, it must be hard to not get incredibly soulful for that because there's, there's such elements of connection and presence that are truly happening to it. Right. I, I would assume from what you've just told me, if that was the very first thing I'd heard about ASMR, that you can't really experience it unless you are present and unless you are feeling connected. Yes, exactly. And the third word I would add to that is safe. You feel mm. safe with this individual. Ooh. Like. A lot of people think that ASMR is stimulated by whispering, but it's the context that's important. If a stranger on the street just walked up to you and started whispering in your ear, you would be freaked yeah. out. You would be alerted. You'd be scared. Right. You'd be frightened. <laughs> yeah. But when it's your best friend, you know, you're having an overnight sleepover party, you know, you're young kids and you're just whispering as you're falling asleep to each other. These are common situations where people describe feeling this, all of a sudden this deep relaxation and these sparkly brain tingles. You know what comes to mind as you describe that? Road trips. When you're with one of your favorite persons on a road trip, you, um, we as people aren't naturally good at face-to-face, eye-to-eye, right? We're often right. not. Everything that you're describing, sort of hairdresser, all those things, is not necessarily face-to-face, eye-to-eye. Mm -hmm. And so it made me think of road trips because sometimes you get that, that euphoric sort of thing happening on a, when you're in conversation with someone on a road trip and when you're looking the same direction, it often feels safer. Mm -hmm. And I, I sort of, that's what I got when you said hairdresser, when you said these things, right? That it's not necessarily this, Hey, we're nose to nose right now, creating some sort of, you know, um, connection We're we're, you know, we're not necessarily doing it that yeah. way. It's, it doesn't have to involve eye gazing. A lot of times right. it does. And if you've seen ASMR videos on YouTube or anywhere on the internet, a lot of times the, uh, the individual in the video is gazing into the camera. But you're completely correct that it doesn't require eye gazing. What it requires is being right. in the presence, whether it's virtually someone in a video or it's in the real world, with someone you do feel safe and connected to. And once you have that connection, you're feeling relaxed and that allows the experience of ASMR. Okay. Why? Why do we need it? What does it benefit? <laughs> what do we do it for? I mean, I'm assuming there would be, um, because if you're going to feel safe, that leads me to believe that there is a bit of a disarming going on and, you know, 
everybody knows that in today's world, we got our back up in public armed all the time, dealing with, you know, crazy family members or bad coworkers or bad drivers or whatever it is. So what, what, what would be the intention or the benefit behind behind doing it? I would say picture a situation where you bump into a stranger, you know, whether it's in an alley or it's in the woods, whether it's today or it's a hundred thousand years ago, your brain needs to assess, is this person threatening or are they safe? Should I run or should I stay? And you, you wouldn't have a hard time deciding that. But the question is, what exactly is your brain receiving to know whether or not you should run or stay? If the person is right. shouting, they're waving their hands around frantically, they're moving towards you at a fast pace, or they're just moving frantically. That stimulates you to be afraid and to want to run away because they're showing you threatening gestures. So now, what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that is a soft voice, slow movements, gentle sounds. And that is what you'll see in almost every single ASMR video. So your question is so important, which is, why does this relax us? Why does someone speaking softly, moving slowly, and someone we may already trust, or they're having this behavior that makes us trust them, why is that so important? Because when we're relaxed, that's just our body's way of telling us, don't run away. This person may have something helpful to either show you or to do for you. And that's why it tends to happen with hairdressers and health professionals. That's why these people have those demeanors. It may not be conscious for them why they walk into the room and they say, you know, hello, Mr. Johnson. So I hear you're struggling a little bit with... GERD, <laughs> with some some disorder. But they'll say it in a soft way. Right. They'll walk into the room slowly. And when they do all that, they're basically telling your, your, your brain, your ancient brain, that they're not a threat to you. And so it's really not that complicated. Like when I describe it, you'd be like, well, duh, of course. That just makes sense. Well, yeah. Yeah. It comes up as like that totally makes sense. At the same time, it feels like an awful lot of work. <laughs> like oh, for your brain to figure all that um, out? Yeah, like how to be so cognitively aware as you're walking in a room to do all the things and everything else. So, okay, this may be a sharp question, but it's mm -hmm. an honest question. Is that, so if we want to create a safe space for somebody and that whole threat assessment um, thing that your brain does, that's essentially fundamentally all your brain yeah, does. Yeah, it's true. threat assessment yep. all day. Keep you alive, right? Um, so, but if, if that person's running in public, and maybe I'm, now that I'm saying it, I feel like it's a little off topic. So you can, you can declare that if that's the case. So we've got this, this crazy yeah. person, as we would call them, right? Running in public with their arms waving. That kicks in this threat assessment. And we all get our back up and go, whoa, what's happening on over there? There are people that will step back and go, that's that person doing their thing. It doesn't affect me. It's not going to break me out of my peace today, my good day today or whatever. And they might watch that person and go. Now, there is a very natural biological thing that happens when your body, when your brain, regardless if you see it, feel it, or aware of it or not, kicks in a threat assessment that physiologically happens, adrenaline. Um, but some people seem to be able to do that. Is the problem in the presentation or is the problem in our listening or being able to break free of the threat? Well, I think what you're... See, this brings up more questions as I ask the question. So <laughs> I'll try to cool boil part. it down and see if I get it correct. Yeah. I think what you're saying is that some people will see someone threatening 
and they will have an extreme reaction of feeling threatened. Other people may not feel as threatened. They just accept that individual. They don't feel as threatened. In that second situation, to me, that sounds like a very mindful, learned response that they have realized. It's very conscious of what you were saying earlier. That can take a lot of effort to consciously say to yourself, okay, that person is just someone who's high energy today. I don't need to see them as a threat. I don't need to feel annoyed by their loud behavior at this moment. I'm going to stay in my own world. But some people will have a reaction and they'll be, um, they will feel in danger. They will feel angry in that moment. So I think that is a moment where people can teach themselves to do that. But it's not going to happen naturally. I think of what would an infant do? You ran around, a stranger runs around an infant yelling and waving the arms, that infant is going to be alarmed. But as you get older, you learn that not everyone doing that is a threat. So I think there's kind of a learning that happens over time. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. Oh, see, this brings up so many questions, Craig. I just, I, um, I want to know more. (laughs) Okay. So the benefits of ASMR, they bring us to this place of uh, peacefulness, Mm -hmm. connectedness, uh, you get a reaction and your body feels great. To me, I'm thinking of all of the people in my life that I've said, you know, do meditation or vision work. And for all of the years of my life that I also was guilty of saying, my mind's too busy. I can't quiet Mm -hmm. my mind. And then I eventually stuck to it and learned, and now I can. Is that sort of um, what that is, is that the ASMR allows the space for somebody to get quiet and then be with what's going on, um, maybe teaching them how to find their way there in less and less time with less and less external triggers to get there? Or is it something that you know is required, some sort of hypnosis thing? Yeah, I think what you're asking is, what is the basic differences and similarities between meditation mindfulness, and ASMR. The outcome can be very similar. They're all relaxation techniques. They're all ways that do help someone quiet their mind, that get them into a relaxed state to bring them comfort. The differences are that mindfulness and meditation are something you can do to yourself, which makes it very empowering. It means you can do it anytime, anywhere, And hopefully you can train yourself to do that. You quiet your own mind. In ASMR, someone else quiets it for you. That's the key difference. With ASMR, you're watching a video of someone who's speaking to you gently. Or you're in a real world situation where you're sitting on a couch with someone you feel very comfortable with, perhaps a romantic partner, and they're just playing with your hair. No one's even saying anything but you feel so relaxed while they just play with your hair or they're just lightly touching your arm. Or maybe they're just telling you about their day, but it's in a very casual, kind of calm way. And you feel relaxed. So to me, those are the key differences. They get you to the same state of feeling comforted and relaxed, but with ASMR, someone else is doing it and helping you get into that state. Your students fall asleep in your class very often. I got to tell you, this is relaxing for me. I'm really getting relaxed. (laughs) Um, This is good. Um, Okay, so let me ask you this then. Uh, Change the topic, change the clarity. When we are busy in in dealing with, like you talk about threat assessment, all the things in life that are going on, um, doctors will prescribe Mm -hmm. pills like 
you know, antidepressants or whatever. Now, the intention is not to fix you because that's not what they do, but to stabilize the emotional experience of it all. So to give you space to learn how to stabilize on your own eventually one day, Mm -hmm. in theory, um, cognitively learning those skills. You spoke of a couple of minutes ago about, you know, learning the skills of managing threat assessment as we go through in life and being aware of those things. Is, does ASMR show any signs of allowing people the space to to teach themselves how to do it? Or, or are you seeing that people are still going into this video, this uh, face-to-face experience of with somebody where they give them mm-hmm. that? Or are they able to learn how to discover it and create it on their own without necessarily consuming a video or conversation to get there? Um, there isn't a lot of reports of self-stimulated ASMR. There are some individuals who may be able to do it and say they can do it. A certain percent of those people are confusing ASMR with the experience of frisson. So frisson is like music chills. Frisson is more of a slight um, enjoyable euphoria that you might feel when you hear a rousing speech or you hear music and you feel these the goosebumps and the chills and an enjoyable feeling. Um, self-stimulation is not the major way that most ASMR is stimulated. It's usually done through someone else. Um, someone else is doing it to you, whether someone in a video or someone in the real world. You also mentioned that medications help people to get into a relaxed state. And I think there are some similarities between medications to help get you in a relaxed state and ASMR to get you into a relaxed state. Neither of those, and you kind of mentioned this, Shane, neither of those cure the problem. What they do is they treat the symptoms. So that way you can get control back in your life of whatever that control is, being able to go to work, being able to study, being able to be in a healthy relationship. ASMR will not cure your depression, your stress, but like medication, it does treat it. But a lot of people feel better about ASMR because you might call it more natural than medications. So it's still important, just like it is for people on medication, that you still need to talk to a physician about using certain types of relaxation methods because they most of them won't cure the problem. They'll just treat the symptoms. So if you're feeling stressed every day, ASMR can help you relax but you still may need to look into what is causing that stress. Is it someone in your life? Or it may be a biological disorder you have. You might have a problem with your thyroid that's driving that. Or an allergy you didn't know of or something. An allergy that you didn't realize was going on. Like it could be very simple. Some mystery of the body is happening. Mm Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of person do you see come in? Maybe we could give a specific example, respecting all privacy, of course, um, of, a, of a short situation that you've seen somebody really uh, see the benefits and, and how they come out the other side of using ASMR as a tool to find that yeah. maybe. I, I guess I'm kind of seeing it as a discovery tool, right? It's bringing peace inside of you. And in, with that peace could come some, some discovery of what it is that you need to discover or move on with or learn from or, or, or go from there. Uh, Is there an example of maybe a a condition or a situation that you've seen? Sleeplessness. People who struggle falling asleep at night because of something you kind of mentioned earlier, their mind is just overactive. 
So they lay there on the pillow and they just can't fall asleep. And what they tend to start looking for is, and they've tried other things and it doesn't work. Maybe they tried relaxing music and it doesn't work. They've tried doing a little yoga before bed and that doesn't work. And then they find either ASMR videos or ASMR podcasts. And all of a sudden the audio from those video and those podcasts, those soft voices, those gentle sounds, suddenly for the first time for some individuals are able to calm their mind. And it, it does it in two ways. It does it because it is engaging their mind. I mean, you could listen to any podcast and it would engage your mind and have you stop thinking about stressful things. But when you hear that gentle voice in an ASMR podcast, you're now feeling like, hey, this is a friend. This is someone who cares for me. And that registers in your brain unconsciously. And as a result, that has a deeper effect of relaxation than, say, you know, listening to a podcast about dog breeding, because that's more distant from mm -hmm. you as opposed to someone almost talking to you gently through the audio of a podcast or a video. You know what you, I think, accidentally just did, mm -hmm. Craig? What's that? After years of doing this show, I think you actually just gave us an understanding of why we received so many messages. Uh, we could, the audience members, they, they, we go by shift heads mm -hmm. for the shift, um, that say to us that, you know, I turn you on before I go to sleep and then they listen to our mm -hmm. show and then they go to sleep from what you've said, yeah. safe space, friend connection and everything else. So I guess what you've done for me is affirm <laughs> maybe accidentally that, Maybe that's what we're actually giving here on the shift as much as we give, you know, infotainment and hopefully curiosity and all the things, maybe that's actually what we're doing here mm. on this nighttime radio world is giving people exactly what you're speaking of. You are engaging their brain so they're not thinking about their stressful day, but they have also probably come to be connected with you when they hear your voice. It's a familiar voice. You also do have a kind of a, a deep, soothing voice, and you have good audio quality. So to the listeners, it sounds like you're kind of there in the room. Now, not in a bad way, just meaning you're there with them. That's how their brain is going to process it. And so you're a familiar voice. They feel safe. And you're also very personable. So you sound like, oh, this is a kind person. So you're right. You're engaging them. They feel connected to you. They feel safe with you. And their brain is distracted from the stressful. It's the perfect formula for a sleep podcast. Hmm. That's amazing. Um, well, thank you for this. I feel like we barely scratched the surface, Craig, about all the benefits of ASMR for other people in other lives. I somehow turned that around and made it all about me. Um, and but my natural curiosity really kicked in on that. So can we reschedule for another conversation here in a few weeks and maybe get into some specifics? Because I would love it if some of these people that are listening, if they're, you know, able to do that or take that time and listen to their thing or watch their video, maybe I'm such a believer that time and space that we take for ourselves to just be with ourselves teaches us so much. Um, can we dig into that a little bit and maybe get into some specifics of who might be um, really mm -hmm. benefit? Clearly, everybody benefits with presence and connection. That's what I, I, I like to say. So 
uh, specific people that are going through different things as well? Can we do yes, that? Yes, I'd be happy to, because you're right. There's still a lot more that we could chat about, about ASMR. And yeah. I love talking about ASMR. I feel like, yeah, I think in, in the world of ASMR, I feel like we barely got through it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we've got a whole bunch of letters still left to do. Thanks for being here. Uh, Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Shane. This is The Shift Podcast. Well, this is not the shift any longer. This segment from now until about Christmas time is going to be known as the Battle of the Beards. Andy Andy Barrar is here. AndyAndyMedia.com for his website. Follow his YouTube channel. Get alerts when he posts new videos. Say that it's the Battle of the Beards because we have both decided to grow the winter beard. And um, I'm I'm a little bit uh, shy on this uh, friendly wager here because of the fact that uh, I am in my mind applying the stereotype of your DNA, your family lineage, your culture grows these big, beautiful wonderful beards and like it's where you can sneeze and poof there's a beard and mine is not that case so we shall see how this goes how's it coming well the, the funny thing is shane we both started to grow a beard around the same time without even talking to each other but mm -hmm. it's funny because now we see each other over zoom uh each week while we do the shift and yeah you could start to see how the genetics start to play a role um Mine's, mine's growing, I think, a little bit faster than yours, but yours does look good. You know, a beard Thank does you. suit you. So, yeah, that's the pity compliment. I like that. Thank you. Um, it is. It's fun. So um, we will uh, continue to do this. Um, well, we're not like we're doing anything. We're, we're well, we're, here, Yeah. Right. It's, that's it's how we do our part, by ever. not doing anything. We're actually yeah, right. doing something, you know. We're just believing. We're just believing. Can I ask you a question? What, yeah. Have you left it, like, untouched, like your neck? Are you Are you trimming that at all, or...? I'm trimming from this line, sort of the chin line down. Yeah. Um, because I don't like how that snags on the shirt until the beard comes down and then I start to let it go. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually doing the exact same thing. So it's yeah. funny that we're, we have the same kind of like style with the grooming. All the beardos listening, they know. The only thing that yeah. I've trimmed so far is just on the top of the cheek so it doesn't look unruly. And then of course around my lip a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The lip one, I'm, I've seen some guys, they let it grow and it kind of just hangs over and I've never yeah. had that look. I think about no. it, like, I always think of like Wild Western, you know, like the, if you watch those old Western movies, they have that kind of, of mustache. You can pull it, um, if you can get it long enough that you can groom it to the sides, then you get the big bushy one. That's yeah. cool, but it takes a long time to get there and pulling whiskers out in your teeth by accident, biting a sandwich is not fun. So that's, that yeah. Does. And that's why I trim. That's why I trim because of eating food. It, it just gets messy. How do you uh, feel about no chicken wings for the next few months? Have you decided? No chicken wings? Why not? That doesn't make no sense. That's no fun. No, you can't. You can't have the wet, slimy chicken wings or else your beard turns like orange. You yeah. got to have like dry robe ones only. Uh, do you use beard oil? Speaking of, now we're on beards. Do, do you yeah. use oil? Yeah. Beard oil. Okay. I'm, it helps. I'm open for some recommendations. Yeah, it helps. It helps uh, for all the beardos out there, you know. Uh, mustache wax and um, beard balm really help shape it so it doesn't get all tangly in your face. And then um, and then the beard oil just helps soften it. In fact, I, there was a, a random meeting that I had with a, a, a colleague that she had brought a friend and, uh, and stopped me and said, are you wearing cologne? And I said, no, I'm not. She's like, 
oh, you smell good. I was like, that's beard oil. And she was like, oh, my God, I got to get for my husband. What is it? So, yeah, I think beard oil has a real nice touch. Oh, hey, you're going to have to text me with, with this oil. You got my attention. I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. I know a guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my droopy microphone there. Sorry about that. My microphone fell. You okay. But that, yeah. We're not uh, the, the beard the beard club of Canada here. Um, I, you know, I am curious, though, from, from the lady listeners. Uh, beards. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What's your vote? Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Curious. Okay. Um, harvesting is here. Uh, we wanted to talk about harvesting. Uh, you love the garden. You have your community garden plus your garden outside. I did um, harvest my first cob of corn this weekend, which was cool nice. to do. I like that. I will do corn again. That was that was pretty awesome. And uh, what do you got for us? Because it's um, we're like a week and a bit away here from the big harvest moon. Yeah, so it is harvest season. So I've been kind of looking at the stats across Canada to see um, how the weather has been affecting harvests. Because anyone that grows, you know, it's those harvest months, the last couple of weeks. You know, do you get a lot of rain? Do you get a lot of sun? That can really affect your your crops. And so looking across the country, it looks like Manitoba producers were sitting at 18, 18% of their harvest completion as of last week. So they're doing pretty good, but it is a drop of 5% compared to the five-year average of 23%. But when you go to Alberta and Saskatchewan, both are ahead of their five-year averages. Alberta produced a five-year, 5% over their five-year average of 12.6%. And there was a 6% increase over last week with more than 17% of their major crops harvested. So that's what they do each week. They say, how much of your total crops have been harvested? And so across the country, it looks like this was a decent year. Saskatchewan did really well. They produced a 33% of their total crop, and that's 10% over their five-year average. So the the thing is, like, and I've wondered this. I haven't really done a deep dive, but if you have a good harvest season, does that translate to lower prices at the grocery store, or is that unaffected? That's the one thing I haven't been able to determine. It depends on the product. Um, we've learned in some of our conversation with Sylvain and Charlevoix and all the various things that uh, global markets affect that. So, I mean, if, if Manitoba does well, maybe Saskatchewan doesn't on a certain crop, and then that doesn't really have a blip on it. But if it's something that's more focused to Canada, like canola and those kinds of things, wheat and all those bits and pieces that uh, in North America, that, that can have a, a bit of a help on it. So yes and no is probably the best answer to that, is that it does have an impact, but it's still based on global demand typically. Although even that changes a little bit with everything in global geopolitics. But yeah, so a little bit of a little bit of all of the above, that's for sure. But there are um, there was some speculation because corn crops down in the states reportedly weren't doing well, and uh, that was enough of a it was going to be enough of a hit for feed and stuff like that 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 could impact meat costs as well. Yeah, cost of feed goes up, right? Now, for the average gardener out there, you know, one thing that I've been doing more and more is planting stuff that I could freeze later because I'm trying to get into that habit chain of growing stuff, but then freezing it for the winter. So if you are looking for what kind of plants can you freeze, peppers are great. And this is something that I did specifically after learning from last year is I need to grow more peppers. And so I got a lot of jalapenos that I am freezing right now, probably this week. I think I'm just waiting for them all to get ripe. 
You freeze them and then you could use them in the, in the winter. Tomatoes as well. I started freezing them last year. I'm going to do that again. You can cool. freeze them whole. And then when you're ready to cook, you just hold the frozen tomato under running water and the skin will right, come right off. And you, from there, you can make tomato sauces and, and other things. And also herbs. You can also freeze herbs like rosemary, sage, or uh, thyme. You can use a freezer or plastic containers. Some people, what they'll do is they'll chop it up and they'll put their favorite herbs with olive oil and freeze it in a standard ice cube tray. And then whenever they need to use those herbs, they take it out and just put the ice cube into the dish that they're cooking. So that's a great way to use herbs. But I think, you know, with the price of food, we got to get into the habit of growing our own food and then storing it. That's the whole point of harvest and um, autumn and, and Thanksgiving was all about, was about the harvest season. But we've gotten so accustomed to buying food from the grocery store. I think, you know, we've lost our touch with growing our own food and then, you know, freezing it for use during the fall and winter. We got into that conversation this weekend too, when it made me feel very grateful. So what I did was, is I had store-bought cucumbers, but I have a ton of tomatoes and then um, made sort of like a Greek salad, right? Cob of corn and uh, which made me think I should grow cucumbers next year. And then, you know, cob of corn, all those things. And then looking at it going, how ungrateful are we? I mean, we go to the grocery store and yes, we're paying for the product, but we don't buy ugly apples because they're yep. ugly. Meanwhile, if that was all we were eating, we would waste none of it. And we, I mean, I've spent all summer long with a handful of onions. I've got my eight or 10 pineapple plants out back. I mean, that that's once every four years. So corn and tomatoes and onions is essentially what I've got back there. I mean, it's not enough to live on. It's not barely yeah. enough to get a day's food out of it. And it's taking me all summer. So how ungrateful are we when we don't realize what farmers do for us every single day with what they create? And here we are. We just take it for granted. And then we complain because the apple has a weird bump in it. Exactly. Like I think about like frozen berries. Like I'm, as you know, I've been trying to grow blueberries for, for years now. And the whole dream was to freeze it. But we could just go to like Costco and get a bag of frozen berries and we don't think nothing of it. But there's a lot, you know, from starting to grow, uh, you know, getting berries from the, from scratch and then freezing them, like all that work we don't have to do. We just take it for granted. Even like bell peppers. I grew bell peppers for the first time this year. Man, they take forever to grow. And yet I use them all the time. I never think of anything when I buy them at the grocery store except how expensive they are. Yeah. But you, you get in touch with your food once you start growing it and you appreciate it more. And, and the effort, like you said, for farmers to grow this food, because, you know, me being a tech guy, I always think about AI and they're going to take away all our jobs. I'm like one day, maybe we're all just going to become farmers because AI can do all the other work. But that's something that we really need to get back into touch with. And that's why I've really, you know, started to embrace gardening and, and trying to grow my own food. Well, and exactly that. I mean, and it feels good. Mel said this to me. She said, it feel good when you have a salad and you yes. made it? Yeah. Like, yeah. The first time I made a salad, uh, Shane, from my own garden, I almost started crying. I'm like, wow, all of this food yeah. was from seed. And now I'm eating it. I'm like, then I was thinking like, my great grandfather did this every day, you know, every, every year. Day. But but things have changed in just a couple of generations. And hopefully we can get back to that. And a lot of people got into gardening during the lockdown. You know, we had nothing else to do. They call them victory gardens. And and hopefully that, that trend continues. Handy Andy Barrar is here. HandyAndyMedia.com is the website. There are no secrets in the world of phones anymore, Andy. I know. 
You know, it used to be so fun when Apple would have an event when Steve Jobs was alive because then nothing leaked. People were scared to leak, uh, to feel the wrath of Steve Jobs. But after that, you can't hold secrets anymore for any of these tech events. So Apple's going to have the release of the iPhone 15 tomorrow. It's going to be a big event. And pretty much, I think we already know what we're going to see and hear from that event. And the big one is the final adoption for iPhones for USB-C, the new universal standard that has been adopted by every other manufacturer except for Apple. The European Union has put big pressure and said that all phone manufacturers need to adopt USB-C in Europe by 2024. So we knew that Apple would do that in Europe, but it looks like they're just going to go away with the lightning port and adopt this because they've already done it for their tablets and their computers, the MacBooks. But it looks like USB-C is going to be coming to the iPhone. The big question is, Shane, and this is what I'm going to be watching very carefully, is how do they market it? Are they going to make it sound like they invented USB-C? Are they going to finally acknowledge that it's about time that they adopted for, you know, so that we could have just one standard cable to charge our devices? I, that way is how they market that is what I'll be listening very closely for tomorrow. Okay. Knowing Apple, they will, it's not like they're going to say we finally caved and did it because they passed a law because we took too long. Um, I'm curious to see if they will take the eco marketing route and say that we are standardizing, you know, to save on this or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, that'll be interesting to see where that one goes. You're right. But you know what? I'll give Apple some credit. Back in 2012, they came out with the lightning port. And at that time, we had micro USB. Yeah. And that, that port was okay, except it had to go in one way. And then they came out with the lightning port. And they're like, it's revert. doesn't matter what way you put it in. You can put it this way. You can turn it around and go the other way. And it had faster data transfer speeds. But USB-C takes a lot of inspiration from the lightning port. It is reversible. It's that one port. Um, but it does have fast speeds, and Apple could have adopted it years ago, but they didn't. And the question is, why they didn't do that? Because they were making a lot of money when they were selling the accessories. If you're Belkin and you want to create a, an iPhone charging cable, well, you got to license the technology for that lightning cable, that lightning endpoint. And that's how they made additional money. But that is finally coming to an end. And hopefully, we can just have one cable. So if your phone dies, you can ask someone, do you have a charging cable? And they don't have to ask you, what phone do you have, Android or iPhone? It'll just be a standard cable for all phones moving forward. Well, and this is where it gets a little bit scammy, scammy, right? If you ever wanted to know, I mean, Apple has all of the money in the world in cash. The um, But at the same time, they charge so much for licensing. That's why you don't get a lot of products that support are like legally the proper ones that are, you know, supported by Apple, right? Yeah. Apple licensed products. And I was looking at LED lights for the house. Um, we had a power failure here and it fried my LED lights oh, and uh, they were home kit compatible. And there are basically two, as far as I can tell, two or three that make LED ribbons that are home kit compatible. And Miros is one and they have a normal Bluetooth LED light that's like $19.99 for the strip. If you want to buy the exact same one that's HomeKit compatible, yeah. it's $40. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's how much it's costs. That's how much Apple's making off this. Like, I mean, they are, they are literally robbing everybody. But people are buying it and the manufacturers are signing those licensing deals because they have that, you know, they have a huge user base that's very loyal with, you know, and they're willing to pay to get the best things. But yeah, if you're trying to build a smart home on HomeKit, you're going to be paying way more than if you were doing that on Google or on the Amazon ecosystem. And that's just Apple. But now I, this is what we have to just for everybody out there that has it, just listen carefully to see how they address the USB-C. Because I, I agree, I think they're going to go the eco route, but they could have did this years ago. I don't think they're going to mention the European Union at all that this was mandated. Um, it, in some way, they'll spin it in Apple's favor. But uh, that's something I'll be waiting for. And it's not even fun watching them because they're all pre-recorded. See, Shane, they used to be live. Yeah, and whenever yeah. you do a tech conference live, something bad could happen. You could try to show something that doesn't work. But right. now everything's pre-recorded, so it's just not as fun. But uh, they like those scripted. It started during COVID, during the lockdown, and they've continued it since. The um, Do you remember when uh, Windows had, I think it was Windows 95? 95. Like, this is the new Windows. And they had the blue screen and death on, yes. on the display yeah. during yes. the release. It's on yeah. YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. I, I, was, uh, I watched that live in 1995. And uh, I still think about it because you look at Bill Gates, he's like, uh, uh, he's all nervous. <laughs> and well, he didn't know what infamous, to do. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, you restart it. That's exactly what you do. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> you give up and you lose the work. Okay, Andy, yeah. we got about 15 seconds. What is the, uh, what's the best concert that you've ever been to? Like if you could go back to one, what's the one that you would see again? Oh, that would be uh, Pink Floyd. What is it? It's not Pink, what, Roger Waters. The mm -hmm. wall. I saw okay. that in concert and he had an actual wall and it was getting te teared down. Probably the best show I ever seen. Um, yeah, that's the best. Go Roger Waters. Right. There it is. Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with... 877-399-9898. Are you okay with layovers? Um, no. No, I mean, does anybody actually... I guess, uh, actually, wait, there's two kinds of layovers. There's the, you know, where you're stuck in Toronto for three or four hours, or you're, like, flying international, and you get, like, a day in Frankfurt or something. You can explore a city and then get to your final destination. You know, I would say then maybe a layover is kind of cool. But when you're traveling domestically in Canada, layovers are usually, in my experience, painful. Hmm. Pearson layovers are not terrible because there's the beer hive right in the center there. And so when you're going from plane to plane... You just uh, go have a little uh, a little beer at the beer hive, and you're good. Ski. Oh yeah. yeah. Watch many hockey uh, game from the beer hive. Yeah, that's true. That's a busy. That yeah, there's more people just chilling and doing nothing, killing time at Pearson than there are people actually getting on planes. That's Pearson. Mm, that's true. Uh, let me ask that maybe differently. Um, okay. Are you okay with flight delays? Ugh. it's crazy how much it can de you know derail your entire vacation you know or your geopolitical trip you know it's just <laughs> ooh, it's rough 
Uh, there is new news. Uh, the Prime Minister has left India. Yay. They had to wait for a technician to fly commercially with a part from Canada to India in order to put it in the plane and fly home. But they've left. So they have left. Here's what I'm wondering, because there's that plane, the new plane, Canadian Force Air Force One, <laughs> that is <laughs> sitting at a tarmac in Ottawa, right? It's yeah. the, it was supposed to replace this one. Yeah. It's not ready yet. And I think I it's been there for two months and they anticipate it's going to be a couple more. Uh, how fast do we think this thing's operational after this now? happens? Do we think they rush it and try to get it done now? Because no, if I'm Trudeau sure or flying. any, yeah, or any political person in Canada, I don't want to get on the 35-year-old plane. Yeah, you know, this has been a problem for a long time, this one. And um, they, you know, Trudeau should have fixed it. He's been there for like eight years. And he's not the only one, though. I mean, it should have been fixed before he got there, I would say, or at least a plan to have it replaced before he got there. But yeah. this is what happens in politics when there's a deficit, when there's so much spending, there's a deficit. They don't take care of things that they should probably take care of because it looks bad. I mean, if there's a surplus, do you think 24 Sussex is a problem? I don't think so. The location of it, it's kind of tucked away in the middle of nowhere, although it's a beautiful view. You know, that could be up for debate. But the fact that there is no real place in Canada to do, you know, the entertaining and the things with a, uh, you know, prime ministerial home. Um, although you see build like a house, right? So like this is the stuff that, that this is where the, the big screw up is in all of this. And then what happens? The plane doesn't get fixed. And now he's stuck in India for a couple of days where he is not held in positive favor in the media currently. So... Um, that must have just been brutal. I mean, yep. <laughs> everywhere he went. <laughs> right? Oh, terrible. Anyway. I would have just uh, waited on the plane. <laughs> there was a report that um, they've left India going to Rome, and then they come here, I think. He's got a meeting on Wednesday in London, so he's got he's got to get back. He's got work to do. Yeah. Anyway, uh, now he's uh, he's out. He's free and clear, on his way. We'll see. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Anyway. Um, I, I want to clarify, though, the um, replacement plane. There was a replacement plane sent, but we're not quite sure how that works because they didn't get on it, I don't think. And at the same time, there was a report that said that the technician flew commercial to get there, not on a government plane to go. And it's the delegation so big. So I don't know why they wouldn't have just taken the prime minister out on a private something. And then I don't know. I would bet there's going to be conversation about how this happens. How does a world leader of a G20 country um, that I would say the greatest one in the country get stuck in another country for a couple of days because he can't get out? So more conversation, I'm sure. Are you okay with... We've been quite relaxed here on the shift tonight with the ASMR stuff, so it seems mm -hmm. appropriate. Are you okay with yoga? I've never tried it. It's something that I would definitely be open to i just haven't really had the chance to try i do find a lot of like release and like really good stretches that i learned when i was doing a lot of theater work like you know those kinds of stretches can you know kind of relax parts of your body you don't even realize are actually tense and that can mm -hmm. give you a lot of freedom especially like i do a lot of face massages before the show for the same reason so i feel like yoga there's it's super valid and anybody that does it doesn't shut up about it and it seems like they're valid in that so maybe i should give it a go 
I don't um, subscribe to the yoga as exercise notion. Um, you get these like hot yoga places, yoga and fitness, and they're like yoga workout classes. Yoga is like go to a proper yoga studio yeah. where it's about the journey of yourself and connected to your body and learning things about yourself and, and not a fashion show. That's my suggestion about yoga because it is relaxing. It's not easy. It's not going to feel great always, but it does in the long run make you feel so much better. I like the hot yoga better myself, got to tell you, although it'll melt you. Over the weekend, though, a yoga class was mistaken for something that is exactly the opposite of yoga. Mistaken for murder. A yoga class in Lincolnshire Village has been mistaken for a crime scene after members of the public reported a mass killing. Yeah, the alarm was sounded after several people were reported lying on the floor. The misunderstanding led to five police vehicles descending onto the venue to find yoga students in deep meditation. Whoever called in had said that they've seen somebody walking around in the building. There was lots of candles lit. They were wearing a robe and they were walking over all of the people and it looked like some kind of ritual and that the people on the floor were actually dead. Um, so that's what that's what they had said on the phone to the police. And then, of, of course, they had to send out a lot of police to make sure if that was the case. That's uh, from BBC News, in case you didn't figure that out already. Uh, the cafe regularly hosts yoga classes in the evenings and noted in its social media post that it's not part of any mad cult or crazy clubs. Lincolnshire, please. Lincolnshire. Uh, said the emergency call was made with good intentions. Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny, though. It, it's very funny. But if if you're the dispatcher and you get that call and you go, it's probably fine. But we we need to be sure that it's mm. fine. Yeah. I um, go to yoga, and if you should feel, it should be ugly. That's what it should be. It's not pretty. Mm. I mean, it could look like a murder scene with everybody out of gas, <laughs> like exhausted, lying on the floor, trying to re, re recoup themselves after what they just went through. It's not easy, without a doubt. So I get that part. Eh. And the candles. Eh, makes sense. Are you okay with... Vaping. Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I, I When I was at the cabin two weeks ago, uh, I, I brought some cigars with me. I wanted to embody my uh, my grandfather who passed away. You know, who loved to be a nice cigar and a, and a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my friend had a vape and he's like, hit this, hit, hit this, bro. You'll like it. And when I tell you, it's, it felt worse than a cigarette. It felt like somebody lit a fire in my throat and my lungs. Like I could really? feel it burning. It was horrible. And so I don't know how people like chain vape because uh, it just hurts. And I don't, I don't get it. Hmm. You ever done the weed? Yeah. The dab pens? Oh, um, yep. And I can't, can't do them. It's not, uh, it, it does not go well for me. I green out, which is not pleasant. Not okay. pleasant. I don't know what that means, but it sounds not cool. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's not. Okay. Common way to vape is by using single-use vape pens. It's like a cigarette with a battery, disposable, right? You get your nicotine hit, and off you go. Well, the UK is starting to talk about banning single-use pens, not just as a danger to kids because of their toll 
on the earth. At the moment, uh, 1.3 million disposable vapes are thrown away a week. Um, that's an astonishing amount of, of, of disposals. And they either go into a rubbish bin, in which case they cause us a problem because they're, uh, they're, um, they create a fire risk to our recycling vehicles and to our recycling centres, or they're thrown onto the floor. All of which makes sense, say some buyers, but a ban could create other issues. What do you reckon? Good idea, bad idea? Bad idea. If you want to get people off cigarettes, they need all the help they can get. Without those disposables, do you think you could have got off cigarettes? No. Well, you don't go from the sort of, let's try it out, because it's only £5 or whatever. If you have to pay £50 on something you're not sure about, you're not going to do it. They are awful for the environment, not only your health. I have been meaning to make the switch to um, the reusable ones for ages, but I find the setup to be a bit of a faff, which is on me, but I do agree with it. I, I don't think they're the best. I'm massively hypocritical because I just bought one. <laughs> At least he's honest. Um, <laughs> respect that's honesty. from 4 News, by the way. Five million single-use vapes are being thrown away in the UK every week, a fourfold increase in 2022. According to The Guardian, this amounts to eight vapes a second being thrown away with the lithium in the product's battery, enough to create 5,000 electric car batteries a year. Germany has banned flavored e-cigarettes, while in Ireland, a consultation is underway to ban single-use vapes. Australia did it a long time ago. Not-for-profit organization Material Focus says their research found only 17% of people recycle single-use vapes, 73% throw them away, and 1% actually flush them down the toilet. Also not good. Now, I can't be the only one that notices the only lobby bigger than the nicotine lobby would be the green lobby because... There's nobody talking about this is terrible for your lungs or this is terrible for the people or terrible for the kids. They're more concerned about the environment. And I don't think it should ever got to a point where they needed to worry about the environment because they should have banned them in the beginning because of the kids. Like, that's how backwards Mm -hmm. we are right now. We won't ban them for our kids, but we'll ban them for the environment, which at least... It's a thing that's happening. I just think that it's way backwards. Oh, my God. This is the world that we live in. Just take care of the babies, man. That's the only rule. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.